0: You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. I'm wearing a sport coat today. It's this jacket that I'm wearing. I don't normally do that. Uh, Typically, I wear a coat and tie these days if someone's getting married or they've gone to be with Jesus. And so if there's been some major life-altering decision or happenstance, that's what I'm wearing Uh, coat and tie these days. I still wear a coat and tie, typically on Easter and Christmas, uh, just because my wife enjoys dolling me up like that. (laughs) Uh, But when I first moved here and I first became pastor of Faith Church, I wore a suit and tie every Sunday morning and Sunday night. I wore a tie and sometimes a jacket every Wednesday night when we had Bible study, And the reason was, when I came here as a 22-year-old, I really wanted to look the part of a pastor. I wanted the people in the congregation to know that they hadn't hired a kid, but that I knew what I was doing. But I didn't know what I was doing. When I came to interview with the church, and the church was uh, considering offering me to call, I found out later on that, that some folks in the church had actually talked to someone who's much older than me, and kind of knew me, and were asking them about me, and his response was, he's just a kid. And that kind of stuck in my mind. And the fact that I had a baby face back then, I looked like I was 12, I was afraid everybody was just going to think that I wasn't so much a pastor, but just three children stacked on top of each other with a <laughs> trench coat. So I really wanted to convey this idea that I'm a pastor. And what's interesting about that is that's not the way I dressed five years previous to that. When I was 17 years old, I pretty much lived in a pair of worn-out jeans, worn-out vans, and a surf t-shirt. And if it was Sunday, I would kind of dress that up a little bit by wearing a button-up collared shirt that might be tucked in for the first 10 minutes that I was wearing it. But here, I wanted to convey this idea that I'm... I know what I'm doing. I'm a professional. And so I wear a suit and tie all of the time. And I soon realized that a suit and tie didn't really communicate professionalism, at least not in this community and in this area, because not long after I got here, I was in a store, and I don't know if it was, you know, like a Sunday afternoon, and I was still wearing my coat and tie, and so I'm in a suit, and somebody said to me, you got court today? Laughter and kind of the idea was they didn't think I was a lawyer because I mean I was that so young, but they kind of thought well, he, he must he must have done something and he's facing the judge today. So it wasn't just wasn't really common. And I also noticed that when visitors would come to the church and they would they would visit us, that oftentimes as I like stood in the back and I greeted them on their way out, they would apologize for their clothing. There were times I invited people to church and they would say I don't have any church clothes. And so I made the switch several years ago to to stop wearing a tie, and then I stopped wearing a coat, and it wasn't because I just disliked these clothes, it wasn't because I don't like looking nice, I always still today want to appear to, I want to present myself as prepared, I don't want to ever give the impression that I just rolled out of bed and walked up to the pulpit, that this matters to me, that this is important, and so I still try to dress neatly and and nice, but I don't want to give anybody the idea that they have to have a certain level of clothing to be able to come to our church church and i've also come to be a little bit more comfortable in my own skin i've come to recognize that i'm not a professional i'm just someone who tries to make the word of god clear and what we see in acts chapter four is that the apostles weren't professionals either and as we look to how we're going to learn how we're going to read the bible i want you to see what people notice about the apostles in Acts chapter 4. And so look at chapter 4 and verse 5 with me. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. When they had set them, them being Peter and John, in the midst, they asked them, by what power or what name have you done this. Peter and John had been preaching the gospel and they also also healed a man who was lame. And so the religious leaders are questioning Peter and John, by what authority are you doing these things? What gives you the right to do these things? Verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which the builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so, the authorities have brought Peter and John in, they've asked them questions, and I want you to notice the reaction that the authorities have to Peter and John, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. What the leaders, what the chief priests noticed about Peter and John is that they were by no means professionals. They weren't educated. They were unlearned men, ignorant. And what they noticed about them was not that they were so eloquent, was not that they were so impressive, but rather, even though they were uneducated and untrained, they had this boldness because what? They had been with Jesus. They had experienced Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. And there's this misconception that we have that to read the Bible and understand the Bible, we need to have the right education. We need to have the right training. We need to to go to school and take these at-length classes. We need to dig into the Greek, into the Hebrew, the original languages. Then we'll be able to read the Bible. Peter and John had none of that. And what we see happens again and again in God's Word is that God uses people who were ordinary just like you and I. God speaks through and to people who are blue-collar. He doesn't reach the world through professionals. He reaches the world through ordinary people. And in fact, I kind of get the sense that God enjoys doing this. That He takes delight in using those things that others might consider to be unprofessional, appear to be common, that God enjoys using those. Paul would write in the Corinthians, he'd write in his letter to the Corinthians, For after that, in the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God. God was happy with or enjoyed to proclaim it through the foolishness of preaching. He would say later on in verse 27 that God has chosen the ordinary things or the foolish things to use to confound the proud things. God takes delight in. He enjoys using the common things and communicating with the common people. And what God has done is He has blessed us by making His truth accessible to all of us. And so if you're here and you can hear my voice or you're listening to this online, you are blessed to have a God who wants to make His truth known to you. And being ordinary doesn't hold you back from knowing His truth. In fact, it might even give you an advantage. I was blessed to be taken to Sunday school when I was a child. Like many of the children that you have brought, grandchildren you brought, they're learning the stories of the Scriptures right now in their children's church classes. I was blessed to do that throughout my days as a child. I was also blessed that my parents made the sacrifice to send me to a Christian school. I was also blessed that I was able to go to Bible college after answering the call to preach and study the Bible in my college classes. But I can tell you from personal experience and through the experience of people that I know that sometimes there are people who come to know a lot of the stories of the Bible or the information of the Bible or the facts of the Bible and it becomes a hindrance in the relationship with God. Because like James said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he's quoting the Old Testament there. If our retention or our gathering of Bible knowledge makes us proud, God will resist us. If our retention of Bible facts makes us proud of all of the information that we have, makes us think of ourselves as professional, God will resist us and our relationship will be hindered by the very information that people poured into us hoping that it would draw us closer to God. Some of you, you're here and and you, you weren't taken to Sunday school by your grandma. And you didn't get to go to a Christian school. The education you got on the playground of your school was very different from the education I got on mine. You didn't get to go to Bible college. But I want you to know that that does not hinder you from a relationship with God. In fact, it might be better. Because I have known people in all three of those venues who were taken to Sunday school by their grandparents like I was, who got to go to Christian school like I did, who went to Bible college like I did, and they don't know Jesus. They're not walking with Him today. And the truth is that you can know the Bible without knowing Jesus. You can know the Bible without knowing Jesus. And some of you, the greatest detriment to your relationship with Jesus is that you think you know it all. And you don't have the humility to seek Him. You think that because you went to church when you were a child, because you were more advanced than the people who were sitting around you in the pews this morning, because you have a lot more of a retention on the Bible stories than other people, that you are farther along in your Christian walk. And you're not. You know a lot of Bible, but you don't know much about Jesus. And you would be better off to forget every story that you ever heard and come to know Jesus than to retain all of those stories and feel that you had it all covered. Because when we read the Bible, we're not to read the Bible for the sake of information. We're to read the Bible for the sake of transformation. We read the Bible to know Jesus. And when we get to know Jesus, we experience that transformation. That's the whole point. This whole book is about Jesus. It's all pointing to Him. And it would be a tragedy if you could get to know this book closely but yet not have a relationship with Jesus. That would be tragic. I'm afraid that many times we... Treat the Bible almost like a family tree. Some of you are interested in ancestry and maybe you've done a little bit of research and you know all of these stories about people who are in your family tree who made the journey across the seas from Europe or whatever and brought your family here. You can trace where they went through all of these places in America and eventually settled in the southern Indiana area. And you know a lot of information about those people, but you don't know them. Because they passed away long before you came. And the Bible doesn't introduce us to a bunch of people who died a long time ago. It doesn't introduce us to stories of people that we'll never meet. It is introducing us to Jesus who wants to be a vibrant part of our life today. It's not introducing us to ancestors long gone, but rather to the person that we can have the closest, most intimate relationship with now. It's a living book telling us about a living God. And so we read the Bible to get to know more about Jesus. How do we read the Bible? We read the Bible to know Jesus. And we read the Bible with the Holy Spirit's help. The the disciples were incredibly blessed. They got to walk around with Jesus for three and a half years. They, they sat and they listened to Jesus give these talks like you're sitting and listening to me today. I'm sorry, you got the short end of that stick. They watched Jesus do these miracles. They helped collect the leftover bread after He fed the thousands. They watched as he rode in the dirt while people wanted him to give his okay on the stoning of a woman. They watched as Jesus responded and said, He who is without sin cast the first stone. They saw these things happen. They have a great advantage on us. But you know what? Peter and John, even though they were watching these things happen, they didn't get it. In fact, if you look over at Acts chapter 1, you see that right before Jesus ascends, they're asking him questions that make it clear like they still don't really get what's going on. But in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus tells them that he's going to send the Spirit and the Spirit will give them power. Acts chapter 2, they experience the Spirit and suddenly these guys who watched it all happen but hadn't really been able to get a hold of it, they stand and they proclaim the message of the Gospel. Even in Acts chapter 4, where we're reading this morning, if you look towards the end of the chapter, when Peter and John leave the chief priests and scribes, they go and report back to the people what's happened. And the people begin to pray together. And the Spirit comes upon them, and they speak the word with boldness. Verse 33 tells us that they speak of the resurrection. What's the difference here? The difference is that the Holy Spirit had come to enable them to understand and to proclaim boldly the truth. And that's exactly what Jesus had told them was going to happen. In fact, this week in John 14, when we read in our reading plan, we'll see that Jesus tells them, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost who will remind you of the things that you have been told and will help you to understand those things. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come and He's going to make it clear to you. Here's the problem that most of us have with reading the Bible. If we can get this one thing right, the Bible will open up to us and we'll be able to understand it so much more clearly. We're trying to read the Bible, which is spiritual truth, and we have not had a spiritual awakening. All right, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 with me. I want, I want you to see these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. But as it is written, there's another one of those, as it has been written, like I talked about last week, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. In other words, he's saying, the things that God has for us, we we don't even know. We We don't even grasp it. Verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through His Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And then pay close attention to verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We cannot know the truths of Scripture. We cannot understand the spiritual truths until we have had a spiritual awakening. The Bible will only make sense to us through the lens of the Spirit coming to live within us. The Bible tells us that when we put our faith in Jesus, that He takes away our sin and gives us His righteousness and then He sends the Spirit to live within us and empower us to live this Christian life. To understand what it is that God has for us. What it is that He is speaking to us. And it doesn't matter how good a job I do of preaching the Word if we have not experienced the forgiveness of Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You can't understand spiritual truths Unless you've had a spiritual awakening. That's like sometimes somebody will come to church, and I get it, you know, maybe they work third shift or it was a pretty rough Saturday night. And they're just dead asleep in the pew, you know. And I can see that they're asleep, and I'm just praying that they don't snore, because that's happened before, you know. But has has happened before that someone who has come in, and for whatever reason, they're just totally exhausted. Maybe they're on medicine, whatever it might be. And they fall asleep early in my sermon, and they sleep through most of it. And then I'm standing in the foyer, and on the way out, they say, Powerful sermon this morning, Pastor Dan. I really appreciated it. And I'm wondering, what did they dream that I preached? Because... Because they can't appreciate the sermon if they're asleep through it, right? They, they can't appreciate the truths if they're asleep. And we cannot appreciate the spiritual truths until we've experienced a spiritual awakening. And when we come to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, He guides us into this truth. How do we read the Bible? We read the Bible to know Jesus. We read the Bible with the Spirit's help. When I was in high school... I went skiing for the first time, and I went with two friends, and I'm still friends with today, Kevin Bass, who many of you know, and Daniel Webster. And the reason that I went with this group is that Kevin was dating this girl in this other church's youth group, and they were going skiing, so we got to go with them. And I would never been skiing before, and Daniel had never been skiing before, and Kevin had never been skiing before. And so we got there, and we got our equipment that we had rented from the, the ski lodge, and Daniel and I headed to take the ski instruction course for beginners because we're beginners. But Kevin's girlfriend had been skiing before and she wasn't headed to the instruction course. And so he followed her and we didn't hardly see him for the rest of the day. And I remember Daniel and I, we went to ski school and I'm like, you know, there's like a four-year-old over here and a six-year-old over here and They're telling us things like, make your skis look like a pizza. Make your skis look like french fries, you know, because they're mainly dealing with children. But there's Daniel and I, we're 15. And I fell quite a bit through the day. But I started to get the hang of it, and I used those things that they taught me in that beginning instructive course. And we got to the van at the end of the day to head home, and Daniel and I were sore from falling and trying something new, but Kevin was miserable. (laughs) Because Kevin's girlfriend said, oh, you're athletic, you'll pick this up, no problem. And they went to the most advanced slopes almost immediately. And the only way that Kevin knew to stop was to fall down. (laughs) If he had taken just that one hour course at the beginning of the day, it would have made all the difference in the world. If he had a little bit of guidance in the beginning. I believe that the reason that most of us struggle to understand the Bible, the number one reason, not the only one, but the number one reason that we struggle to understand the Bible is because we've not experienced the Spirit's guidance in our lives. We're not following His guidance in any area or any aspect of our lives. We're not listening to His guidance when it comes to the decisions we make. We're not listening to His guidance in the way that we spend our money or the way that we spend our time, the words that we say, things that we do. Why would we experience His guidance in reading His Word? We cannot understand spiritual truths unless we've had a spiritual awakening. And you might be here in the pew this morning. You might have attended church for a long time. You might have gone to Sunday school, attended Christian school, and even been in Bible college. I'll never forget the the evening that I was in a service and the Bible college had this quartet. Because quartets are a big deal in Bible colleges. They had this quartet of men who would, who would sing. And I was at this service that they were doing, this youth service. And one of the guys, big guy who sang bass in the college quartet, they gave the altar call and he came down to the altar because though he had gone to church all of his life and though he was in Bible college and though he sang for the college, it hit him in that moment he had never asked Jesus to forgive him of his sins. And he hadn't experienced the work of the Spirit. So you can be on the stage and never had that a spiritual awakening. We won't understand spiritual truths until we've had a spiritual awakening. And if that's where you're at, no matter how long you've been in church or how much Bible you know, let let me beg of you. When we close this service and I am done with my message and there's some music, I want you to just come forward and let me pray with you so that you can have that spiritual awakening. There's nothing else that I can tell you in the rest of this message that's going to help you understand the Bible until that happens. Now, if that has happened for you, and you have had a spiritual awakening, and the Spirit is working in your heart and life, what are some things that you can do so that you can better understand the Bible? I like the way that Matt Chandler put it. He said, read the Bible with tools, not rules. And I want to share with you some tools that are at your disposal, some tools that will help you in understanding God's Word and how you can navigate. Psalm 119, 105, which we're going to quote for the rest of these tools, it tells us that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. What's a lamp? It's a tool that shows us the way. And God's Word is a tool that navigates us through this life and shows us the path to Jesus. So the things I'm going to share with you, they're not gospel, They're not rules that you have to, well, Pastor Daniel said I have to do it this way. No, these are just some tools that I think will be helpful to you. First of all, you need to set a time and place to read the Bible. Psalm 119.62 says, I will rise at midnight. Verse 147 says, I will rise before the dawn. Some of you are morning people, and that's when you should read the Bible. Some of you are night owls, and that's when you should read the Bible. Whether it's evening or morning, there needs to be a set time and a set place that you're going to read the Bible. It's not just something you're going to do whenever you get to it. Because if you don't make time to read the Bible, you won't have time to read the Bible. So set a time and place that you're going to read the Bible. And then get yourself a Bible that you can easily read and enjoy reading. Like what the psalmist said in 119, I will delight in your statutes. Reading God's word should not be a chore that I guilt you into doing. Reading God's word should be a delight. Reading God's word should be like that cup of coffee that, man, you look forward to it in the morning, and if you don't have it, your day is not going to go okay. You delight in it. Now, for some of you, that means that you need to get your hands on a translation that you can easily read, that you can understand. Now, we typically use the King James Version here in our services just so that we're all on the same page. But there are three different types of translations. There's a paraphrase that takes like the big idea of a paragraph and translates it into a big idea. And the Living Bible or the message are examples of those. Then there are translations that are thought-to-thought translation. This is the idea of this verse or the idea of this phrase. And we're going to communicate that in the idea or phrase of this English phrase. The NIV is an example of that. Then there are word-to-word translations. Word-to-word translations is this word means this, this word means this. And the ideal scenario is that you read a word-to-word translation. Those are the ones that you should use if you're working on systematic theology or you're preparing a talk or a devotion or a sermon. But it may be that you're not at a place where you can read that, and I would rather you read a translation that you can understand than not read at all. And so find you a translation. Find yourself a translation. You can read the Scriptures. Some of you have just recently contacted me about this. Like, I realize I need, to, I need to get a Bible. What Bible should I get? And this is my recommendation that I give to people. Use the YouVersion Bible app. Read a familiar passage of Scripture like Psalm 23 or John chapter 3 and read it in a couple of these different translations. The one that I prefer to read in my, on my own is the New American Standard Bible. Some people find that a little bit more difficult to read. Maybe it's the ESV or the New King James or the King James. But find one where you can read. Now, not all translations are created equal. Not all of them are as good. I'd like for you to be as close to the word for word as possible. But I want you to read God's word. I want you to read the Bible and be able to understand what you're reading and it not to be this chore. So read a Bible that you can read. I know that might sound really simplistic, but sometimes we make it more complicated than it needs to be. And then read the Bible with pen and paper. In 119.11, he says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart. In 15, he says, I will meditate upon thy precepts. I encourage you that when you read God's word, you have something to write down because I believe that God's going to speak to you in those moments. And you need to write those things down. You say, so, Pastor, now, I'm not really like a diary person, I'm not really a journal person. I didn't ask you to keep a diary. I don't want you to write about your old boyfriends or anything like that. That's not what I'm worried about. What's God saying to you? What's God speaking to you about? What sin is He calling out? What, what promise is He making evident and clear to you? Um, just recently, I, uh, I dusted off an old journal that, was, that I had started writing in in 2007 was 12, going on 13 years ago. Some of you were still in grade school. <laughs> Man, I will look back at that and some things that God was speaking to me about in those times. Man, that was, was powerful to be able to go back and meditate on them again. So, Have a piece of paper, have a pen, have a journal, something that you can write these things. And again, these are tools, not rules. Read the Bible using a reading plan. Psalm 119.96, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. God's Word is incredibly rich and long and in-depth... And here's what happens a lot of times. You get serious about reading the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible in 2020, and you start in Genesis, and man, this is great. God's creating the world, and then there's Noah, and then we get introduced to Joseph, and his story is incredible, and then there's Exodus, and Moses is doing all these incredible things, and God is working for the people, and then we get into Leviticus, and we're like, oh no, what have I done? This is is so tough. Use Use a reading plan. Don't just, I'm just going to start in Genesis. I like what Carl Vatter said. He said, reading Genesis in January is the Christian version of joining a gym in January. (laughs) There are great reading plans. We've, We've made the one available that we're currently going through as a church to help you just make a way through the Gospel of John. They're all of John's writing, a chapter at a time. Understand the setting of the book that you're reading. Nothing made the Bible become more alive to me than coming to this place where I could understand the setting of the Bible books. psalmist said, Open thou mine eyes that I might see. God, help me to understand the things that you're, you're saying here. Every one of the Bible books was written in a particular place, in a particular time, to a particular group of people who are facing a particular struggle. And when you understand who was writing to who and why they were writing, it gives you so much more context about what you're reading you Can understand it. There are great resources for figuring this out. The Bible Project, which we have used the material extensively here at our church, that's the the group that put the Bible reading plan that we're currently going through. They have videos on every book of the Bible where you can go and watch, and it gives you this incredible overview of what that book of the Bible is all about. Tim Matthew, who's one of the guys who who's a part of that, he was a skateboarder in in, uh, Seattle, and some people led him to Jesus, and they were doing a Bible study at the skate park, and one day they said, hey, we want you to lead the Bible study on this passage next week. And he was like, me? He said, yeah. And so they come together that next week at the skate park and he just starts drawing because that's the way that he understood things. And the Bible came alive for some people in that group like it had never had before. And he helped them understand the setting of it. And so the Bible Project has all these videos that are available for free on YouTube, all of these posters where you can see this is what this book is about. It's available to you for free. Understand the setting of the book and then discuss what you're reading with others talk about it the psalmist says with my lips i will declare all of the rules of your mouth god i'm going to talk about what you're doing i'm going to talk about your truth and when we talk about it with other people one it holds us accountable two have you ever been saying something and like you realize it as you're saying it have you ever experienced that when we talk about the Bible, it helps us see it in a different perspective. It's interesting that when the Spirit came upon the apostles, they, not only, they not only understood, they proclaimed boldly. They talked about it. I, I love that when we gather together, we talk about all kinds of things. Like who is winning in the playoffs, and what show we're watching, those kind of things. But I would love if more and more of our conversations could be about Hey, you know what I read this week? I've never noticed this in the the book of Psalms. You know what God's been speaking to me about recently? Those should be topics of conversation. After all, the reason that we're all here and not meeting up at Hardee's is because what we have in common is that we're following Jesus. So we should be free to talk about that. That day we went skiing. We rented gear from the lodge cuz we didn't own gear. And I remember you know we're like walking out with our skis and trying to look like we know what we're doing, we obviously don't. And then there was the these people that they were they were walking out and they were like unloading snowboards from the top of their car and they had brand new gear and like man, they must really know how to ski. And then the more times I went skiing, I started to learn that there are a lot of people who have money to buy gear, but don't know how to ski <laughs> or snowboard. They might have all of those tools at their disposal, but they never put them to use. They never have gotten any experience with them. They spend more of their time in the lodge drinking hot chocolate or coffee and looking outside and like, ah, oh, the weather's not great today. No fresh powder today. I'll wait for that some good fresh powder before I go skiing. The sad reality is that many times we have more resources at our disposal today for reading and understanding the Bible and we're just not making use of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm to get serious about that soon. We will not have time to read the Bible until we make time to read the Bible. It will not be important to us until we make it the most important thing. It will make a huge impact in our lives. And I want this for you so that you'll be able to feed yourself on the richness of God's Word on Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning or Thursday on your break at work and not just on Sundays. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.